0: So open your Bibles to chapter 5 of Galatians. I can't believe we're already in chapter 5. And there's um, a break in the thematic approach to this chapter uh, at verse 21. So we're going we're to kind of dive into the first 21 verses of chapter 5. There's a typo at the top of your title. It says, Finding in Freedom in Christ. So just cross out that first in. So Finding Freedom in Christ. And the idea is that we run the race. Run the race. Let's start with verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Let me just pause there. That is his recurring drum. He has beaten this drum all through the book of, of Galatians. That you are trying to be justified by something other than clinging to Christ. And in so doing, you've fallen away from grace. Verse 5. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut, on, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So let's start there. Let's start with verse 7 for a second. So the recurring theme you know, you keep, you keep trying to, 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 to set back. You keep trying to make a U-turn. You keep trying, as, as churches in this region of Galatia, to, to move to a place where circumcision makes you right with God, or the keeping of the law, or the keeping of the covenant, or the keeping of the feast days or the festivals. You've seen lots and lots of dil- different illustrations as we're going through here. But he says in verse number 7, you were running a good race. So who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So he's going to take another motif, another, another very well understood theme, another very well understood illustration to say to them, hey, why are you going backwards? So he's going to use the race. Now for us, it means nothing. The Olympics come around every now and then. We're pretty excited about the Olympics while they're here. If it's the Winter Olympics, great. If it's the Summer Olympics, we're all into that. But during the ensuing years between there, who thinks of the Olympics? Not very many people. Running, I don't know. How many of you are runners? For fun, you go out and run. Two of you. Oh, great. Bless you. Have a good time. Um, So, so running, you know, you either are a runner or you're not a runner. And if you are a runner, it it, it does take a toll on your body, and it's not all that much fun unless you really enjoy it. So, <laughs> running is one of those things that not not everyone would choose. But in that culture, Paul making a reference to this running, uh, I wanted to take, take a minute and talk about it. It has a, a really a clear spiritual application. <clears throat> but first, let me tell you what he's referring to. So in the in the time of the ancient Greeks, particularly 775 or so to 724, about about 50 years, they had the ancient games. Now our Olympics are are pitted against that; they're a reflection of that. But back then, there was only one event for the first 15, 16 years. There was just one event, and it was a race, and it was not a very long race. It was one length of the stadium, um, and and during that time period. Uh, that particular olympic it was held in a town of olympia uh, in greece that that became a really big deal the the various villages and the towns around that that area of greece would send their champion so somebody that was a really good runner in their city for for up to a, a minimum rather of 10 months usually more than that a year or more they would train and the and the and the little village would Would support them. They didn't have to work during that period of time. They just ran. And and what happened is when they represented the city, if they won, now the the winner no longer has to pay taxes the rest of his life. He gets all kinds of, you know, really nice things in his little city. And the city itself becomes very well known. So it wasn't a minor matter. Those Olympic runners were representing their city and themselves. And there was a, a really good benefit should they win. They they threw huge benefit uh, kind of like banquets for them. They wore um, uh, crowns that were made of olive leaves, which you see in the motif of the Olympics even till today. Um, things were thrown in their path, flowers and so on. And and the event became emblematic of of a race when they the race rather became emblematic of a of a of a truth. So at the finish line, there was a raised platform, and a judge sat on that raised platform. And so the runners ran, and he was able to make the determination of who the winner was. Now, the winner got all the prizes. The losers didn't get beaten. They didn't get, you know, nothing bad happened to them. But now they got to go home to their village. And instead of the notoriety and the specialness of, of them winning, they're just a, also ran. There was nothing, nothing good that happened. And so there became associated with this Olympic whatever an understanding of a judgment of some kind. Paul uses that imagery in a very rich way. So I want to show you a couple of passages. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 first. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul loves this picture of this particular race. And there were other races that, that came along. The, the races in Corinth were, were similar. But he, he takes this, this, this motif, if you will, and, and, and uses it for a spiritual truth. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 9 first. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and uh, 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, he's starting to... To, to give some, some indicators of a very important truth. So he, in this particular passage, he said, well, we all run, we all have the potential to get the prize, and that prize is a crown. So hold that thought. So then go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And remember, he wrote letters to Corinth, probably four or five of them. We only have two of them. But in 2 Corinthians, the second of the two letters that we have, in chapter 5, verse number 10, he's going he's to pick up this same idea. He says, for we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's referencing this judgment seat at the finish line of the race. So we must all appear before a judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things that were done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and finish off this, this truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Well, let me, let me back up to verse 10. He says, by, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, putting those three passages together with the reference in Galatians, here's, here's the point. Paul wants them to understand, using a runner and this particular race as a picture, that at, that at the uh, end of time, there are several judgments. There is the great white throne judgment, which is for all who do, who do not claim the name of Jesus. And that's very clear in the end of, of Revelation. But there is a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. And when we th- went through the book of Revelation, we spent a lot of time talking about that particular judgment. Because that judgment is for believers. It happens during the time that the tribulation is going on on the earth. You and I, those of us that know the name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are in heaven. There is going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb, and prior to the marriage supper of the Lamb, there is a judgment. Now, what is being judged at the judgment seat of Christ? If you say, well, our sin, you do not understand your theology. Where was your sin judged? Marcia, where was your sin judged? On the cross. Amen, Sister it. Say it a little louder. <laughs> yes it was judged on the cross Christ took on, uh, on himself our, our sin and our sin was judged and when he declared it is finished what was finished the judgment done finished there was a covering that went over your sin the blood of Jesus Christ provided that covering so at the judgment city of Christ it cannot be a judgment of our sin that's already been done so what is being judged at the judgment seat of Christ? What's being judged is our work since the time of our salvation. That which we do in, in response to what Christ has done for us. So if you were saved yesterday, you had all morning to accrue to a, a, a some crowns, the Bible calls them. And there are various crowns for various activities. And the crowns then are are awarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Now picture my race. Picture the judge. Picture the one who won. He gets the crown. Now what happens to all the ones that don't get the crown? I made a point of telling you they were not beaten. Nothing bad happened to them. But was there a sadness associated with that? Of course there was. They trained. Their whole village was, was in expectation of a win. There was a sadness associated with, now I got nothing. Back to the judgment seat of Christ. God awards crowns based on, pardon me, what we do with our opportunities, our gifts, the time period that we have as believers. What do we do with those crowns? Accrue them. Hey, look at me. I got 12. You only got Nine you know stick them up your arms get them all up on your head arrange them according to jewels what are we going to do with those crowns lay them at the feet of Christ lay them at the feet of Christ because we have nothing else no other way to show the deep 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 appreciation for his his act of salvation so the accruing of the crowns is what is judged at the judgment seat of Christ and Paul's using this whole picture of the Olympics to, to get that across. Y'all with me? Now, with that in mind, go back to Galatians chapter 5 and look, look at the start of our, our, our section here. He says in verse number 7, in just another way to get after them, you were, past <clears> tense, <throat> running a good race. So who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Who, who darted in front of you and and got you so you you couldn't win so you couldn't accrue so you couldn't get the crown that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. He makes a little side note, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one is who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case the offense of the cross has been abolished. Why do people hate me? If we're just going to rely on the Jewish way, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Paul Paul, Paul makes some sarcastic, nasty kind of little comments here, all the way through our, our passage. What he's trying to do is emphasize once again that there is a freedom in Christ that comes not by um, a a sense of keeping the law, a sense of keeping the covenant, a sense of of relying on our circumcision or our feast days, but on Christ. And so he says in verse number 1, just to repeat it, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, slavery to the old ways. Now, what are we free from? Now, I want us to look at a passage in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is going to quote an Old Testament passage. They're going to hand him a scroll in Luke chapter 4, and he he is allowed to read the scroll. When he reads the scroll, it happens to be a passage in Isaiah. So in Luke chapter 4, look at verse 17. Luke 4, 17 get to chapter 4, that would be helpful. There we go. Verse 17. So in verse 16, he says, He went up to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, he, he on a particular day in a particular synagogue is handed a scroll. The scroll happened to be of the, of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls it until he gets to chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, and he starts reading. What is he talking about? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news and to proclaim freedom. Now, if you were a Jew at that time and you are living under the oppression of the Roman rule, when you saw him read that scroll, aha, finally we're going to throw off the Romans and we're going to get our freedom. Is that the freedom Jesus was referring to? No. No. When he came in the Sunday before he was crucified, we call it Palm Sunday. How did they treat him? How did they treat Jesus? As if he were a what? (coughs) A king. Hosanna. They were laying laying their coats down. They were laying palm fronds down. They were as if a conquering hero were coming into Jerusalem because here he is, and now we're going to get rid of these nasty Romans. When When he read this passage in Isaiah... They they're thinking the same thing. Aha! Now we get to get out of the rule with the the Jewish people get to back back to owning their land, back to owning their own destiny. And he's not talking about that. He is talking about a different kind of freedom. And I and I put three things down. First off, Paul's trying to use this this reference to this passage to to teach these people we are free from the law's system, the oppressive system. We don't have to keep the law anymore. Now guys, if you've gotten nothing out of the book of Galatians, you should have gotten that that message, that the law and the constraints of the law are not on the believer. The believer who has put their trust in Jesus Christ is free from the, the constraints of the law. Be careful not to think that that's free, 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 free. And I'll get to that in a moment. The second thing that we're free from is we are free from the penalty of sin. Romans 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. Go left a, look, a couple of books in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It's the very first book in the Bible, that are the very first verse in the Bible that I ever memorized. And I, I think I've told you, I memorized it while I was working in a cash register in a hardware store. And I had little cards, and I'd sit them up on my cash register. And as I was checking people out of this hardware store, I would go, Therefore there and there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not up to the flesh, but after the Spirit, blah, blah, blah. Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. If someone comes up to you and says, in order to to display your Christian walk, Suzanne, here is a short list of things you can and cannot do, you should wad it up and throw them back in their face. Now that's not to say that there isn't a list of things inside of your heart that you would choose to do or choose not to do, but that is to say that there is not a list that you are required to maintain in order to seek God's favor. How do you receive God's favor? By performance? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By, by your relationship in Jesus Christ. Then why do we do this? Lord, I haven't talked to you in a couple of days. I didn't read my Bible yesterday. My kid's driving in the rain, and I really want to ask you to bless them while they're traveling, but I know I, I haven't prayed to you in a while, so I, I probably shouldn't even talk to you. Why do we do that?
1: Maintain a good relationship with
0: Jesus? Absolutely, we should. But the question is, if we feel far away from God, who moved? We we did. 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 We did. We did. We act like we have to perform in order to get his attention. His grace is on full blast, fire hose mode in our direction at all times at all times what obscures it yes, that stand went up while I'm uh, while I'm pointing to my chest <laughs> exactly the fire hose gets obscured because I do this right either selfishness or an agenda or tiredness or too much going on or who knows but his fire hose of mercy and grace is coming my way 24-7, every day, all the days of my life. We are free from the penalty of sin. There is now no condemnation. None. None. I have a friend who, who when we have these conversations, will say to me, yeah, but when I get to heaven, I'm not even getting off the floor. I said, I understand that. I, I, I get the... I'm not moving. I mean, the, the, the song, you know, will I, will I stand and raise and, or will I, you know, I, yeah, I'm down there too. But at some point, it's going to dawn on us why we're there at all. It is the grace of God that sets us free from the penalty of sin. It's also the grace of God that sets us free from the power of sin. Look at Romans 6. You're in Romans 8. Look at Romans 6. although I think that's the wrong passage. I think there is not a 24. There is not a 24. It says 23. It should be 23, you're right. 6.23 is the one we want. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life. The power of sin. We've been set free. Look at verse 22. But now you've been set free from sin and have become instead slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Look, we are called to freedom. We are not under bondage, not to, to, not to the law, not to the penalty of sin, not to the power of sin. In John chapter 8, verse 36, it says that the truth has set us free. When, when you, whatever the circumstances of your salvation were, when you heard the truth, when someone in some way got God's word into your heart and you recognized the truth of it and you accepted it and put Christ on the throne of your heart, there was was a sense in which you were utterly and totally set free. But it's a paradox. Free, yeah... But now, instead of being a slave to sin, a slave to my own appetites, a slave to my own inclinations, now what God wants is for me to be a slave for him, to him, about him. In, in our passage in Galatians chapter 5, look at, look at verse 13. He's, he's sauntering into this concept. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the flesh, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or walk by the spirit, rather, and you will not gratify the the desires of the flesh. There is a sense in which freedom for the believer becomes a kind of bondage. A kind, of, a kind of slavery. A kind of willingness to choose to not serve self, but to serve Christ. In Exodus chapter 21, he's talking about how the Jews were to treat their slaves. And among the things they were to do to the slaves is they took their slaves to the doorpost of a house. And they took the ear of the slave, and they kind of shoved it up against the doorpost, and they took an owl. A W L all, I'm not pronouncing it correctly. I think. Anyway, like like, like a punch, a me- metal punch, and they would take the the flat part or or sometimes the top part of the ear and hold it against that doorpost and smack it, cut out a little V, like right here, maybe maybe down on the flat part. That little V, that little cutout part, either here or here, was a sign to everyone. Oh, I'm I'm a I'm a slave. I belong to someone. I, I'm I'm marked. Paul uses that very imagery when he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He's saying, I willfully, with choice, said, I want to be a slave. When they were set free in the Old Testament, that while they might be set free, they still had a mark their entire life. And the good slaves would never leave. They would say, no, I've been marked. I belong to this guy. I'm going to serve him. I don't have to. I want to. That's the picture that Paul's trying to get us to understand about freedom as a believer. Yes, I am free. We do not have to be circumcised. We do not have to eat certain things or not eat certain things. We don't have to honor the feast or festival days. We don't have to do the the sacrificial system, which would have driven us all crazy anyway. But we don't have to do it. Yippee! you get to do anything we want.
1: <laughs> no, not really.
0: But out of love, when you think about what the cross is, pretty soon that I can do anything I want becomes, but what do you want? I, I really want to please you. Oh, maybe I could stop that. Maybe I should start that. Maybe I could, but choose not to participate in that activity. Maybe I decide my family is going to do this. My family is going to do that. I personally am choosing this. There is a kind of bondage, a kind of slavery, a kind of, a, a kind of a, a, an, an understanding for the believer that is much stronger than the slavery to sin. I I, I read an article and, and this little quote was in it. It says, A train is free only as long as it stays on the tracks. A train that drums, jumps the tracks is free of the of the rails, but no longer free in the in the most important sense of the word. Yeah, it's free, but it ain't gonna get nowhere. We're 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 not free to do anything without constraints. There are constraints on the believer. And are they not more significant than the other way? When I was growing up, and my mom would lay down you know, 52 rules, and of course I ignored them all, and then my father would say, Sherry, I want you to use your best judgment. That's all he'd say. Sherry, I, I have some confidence in you. I want you to use your best judgment. Well, can I this? I want you to use your best judgment. Well, can I stay out till then? I want you to use your best judgment. Well, can I go to that party? I'm going to trust that you use your best judgment. What kind of a standard is that? <laughs> Give me my mom's rules. Right? You can, you can relate, right? You're all girls. You've all been there. Now, along comes Christ. Can I that? Want it? Well no. You know, that we are free to do anything without we are not free rather to do anything without constraints, the constraints of love. When my father would say, I want you to use your best judgment, he he was laying a standard on me that was so stinking high because I, I valued my father's judgment of my character. Our our freedom is directed by our obedience to Christ's commands. Can I do it? Yes. Does it affect my salvation? No. Should I do it? Probably not. Will I do it? Hopefully not. Don't you go through that in your mind? Can we party hardy like everybody else on the block? Yeah, we can. Bring on the red cups. (laughs) so what happens you have a relationship with Christ you remember that you have a testimony you've worked in your neighborhood to, to maintain that testimony you've tried to live Christ high in your life would you throw it all away for a stinking red cup probably not we're only free when we ignore uh, the lies and, and deceptions of, of Christ. I mean, of Satan. He comes along and goes, well, what's the big deal? Everybody else is doing it. Yeah, they are, whatever it is. But there's a standard in our heart caused by the love and mercy of Christ that sets an awful high bar And that is our conscience that says, "Mm, maybe not. Maybe not. We're free to live within the structure of how God made us. We are free when we live life as God intended it to be. Sure. But that freedom has a kind of, of connectiveness to it. The closer we conform to the true image of Jesus or of God, Jesus Christ, the freer we become the farther we drift from it the more our freedom shrinks when we're snugged up close to Christ when we're living a life that brings joy to him because it honors him and our choices and and so on there is an enormous sense of freedom I can do that, no thanks I can participate, no thanks we used to yeah but I don't anymore, thanks don't need to My freedom in Christ is of such great value that the other things just don't have that that same value. Now what he does say, Martin Luther, great old you know, uh, not Martin Luther King, but the real Martin Luther, he says, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. And he went on to say, A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. That's the dichotomy. That's that's the truth of the the Christian walk. We are not encumbered, but we are some of the most encumbered people in the world. And we are encumbered by love. I could do X, but it would ruin my testimony with Marcia, and so I choose not to. I could, but I choose not to. I am free. It does not affect my standing with God. It does not affect my walk. It does affect my walk. It does not affect my standing with God. I could, but out of great love and respect for my testimony and and who Christ is, I, I choose not to. Verse Verse um, uh, nineteen uh, starts the, this passage. Gets us going to n- the next section. Um, let me let me just say this. He says, "Walk by the Spirit." In verse sixteen, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Whether um, you believe we're a tripart being, which means we have three parts—body, soul, and spirit—or just two parts, which is body and spirit it doesn't really matter the the truth of the matter is there is a war at, at 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 bay or there is a war within my heart there's the flesh and there's the spirit and the old uh, the old indian stories you know talks about who wins and it's the one you feed if you feed the flesh then the flesh reigns and we all know what that period of time looks like right whether it's a short period of time or a long time we, we know what that looks like. But well, when you feed the spirit, then the flesh loses. And, and the, spirit, the spirit reigns. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Right out of 1 Corinthians 10, we looked at that before. No body should seek his own good, but the good of others. Which gets us to this part about the works of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But but if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The the truth of the matter is is that there is a war at at range in us and it's the works of the flesh that want to have their their way. Now, it's really easy, and certainly in our culture, to look around and go, but yeah, I'm not as bad as Cami. I don't know if you know Cammy. She's right <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and she's pretty bad.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I chose her because that is the opposite. But <laughs> well, we do that. We go well. You know, I'm not as bad as her. I'm not doing that. You know, but but we're not we're not participating in that. But I occasionally do this other thing. I'm not as bad as. I think, in part, that's why we have this list that's coming up in, in this next part of the of the of the book of Galatians. He wants us to see the range, the wide range of the works of the flesh, so that we don't start comparing ourselves to Cami and, and think we're turning up good. Look at verse nineteen. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious, and then he starts with the with the you know the two by four, sexual immorality. And then there's impurity. And then there's debauchery. And then there's idolatry. And then there's witchcraft. And then there's hatred. And then there's discord. Then there's jealousy. Then there's fits of rage. Then there's selfish ambition. And then there's dissensions. Then there's factions. Then there's envy. Then there's drunkenness. Then there's orgies. And, and the like. Now, did you find anything in there that might have you know been in the range of your life? at least occasionally. I mean, that's his point. You can't point to somebody else and go, but I'm not as bad as Gannon. Because he, he lays out this list, sexual immorality. In, in our Bible, sexual immorality is a, is a general term that just you know, covers it all. The, there are other terms in our Bible for specific things, like adultery. Adultery is when a married person has sex with someone that isn't their spouse. But then there's fornication. Which is just two people who are not married to each other that have sexual relationships. Then he throws in uncleanness. That's another term. And that's any kind of evil thoughts or actions. Remember, uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees one time, and they were bragging about how they don't do that and they don't do that and you know they don't do that. And he said, "Yeah, but if you do it in your heart, if you just do it in your mind, don't tell me you don't do things in your mind. Think about things. Participate in ideas." Uh, You know, come up with a thought. That uncleanness would characterize all of that. Lasciviousness, that's a word we don't use in our culture anymore. But that's any kind of sexual interest that's the opposite of purity. Women and pornography is a growing, nasty uh, disease in our culture. We always think that's the guys that have that problem. No. It is a huge issue. Would you be surprised to know that statistics like 50% of all the people who work in churches have problems with pornography? It is a huge issue because we can grab those things that we all have in our pocket and we can be transported anywhere we want to be in a nanosecond. That's lasciviousness. So, yeah, okay, we're, we're pointing at Cami, and she's really bad because she's, I don't know, up there with the whatever but but just keep just in that one area. We've got this and then we've got that and then we've got this and then we've got that. And then we got the all encompassing anywhere your brain goes that's not supposed to be where it's gone. Okay? I'm not going to have a hand raising, but
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, we haven't even gotten into the second word yet. <laughs> But idolatry, every single one of us have an idol. For many in this building, it's their children. Anything or anyone who gets the glory, attention, and worship that only belongs to God, that or they are an idol. Talked about that last week. Houses, cars, things, children. Idolatry sorcery we go well not into sorcery sherry witchcraft <clears throat> the word for witchcraft is pharmacological or pharmakia. or pharmacia you know anything anything having to do with with satan's gig would fall into that crack i don't wanna look many of you participated in Halloween? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh I'm being funny and I'm certain that the vast majority of you had no connection whatsoever with evil spirits. But where did that holiday come from? What's its roots? What about other kinds of things that have to do with demonic activity? weird stuff the other day we were watching on television and there was some uh, magician and whatever he did was just astonishing and Barb and I were watching it and she said do 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 which is our little way of saying oh evil spirits abound and I laughed here's why where does supernatural power come from one of two sources either of God or it's from the other guy So, if somebody's doing something that defies the laws of nature and he got some supernatural power, where'd he get it? Let me go to the next one. Enmity, hatred, a lack of regard for each other. Get on the freeway and watch that. (laughs) Come on. Strife, conflict, arguing, fighting, quarreling, difficult to get along with. Come on, put your hand up. (laughs) Jealousy, resenting a rival, a sister, a brother, a neighbor, a friend at church, striving to excel at the expense of somebody else. Every corporate office in America has got that problem, Fits of anger. This is that determined and lasting anger. It's the one that says we do not want Uncle Frank at our table at Thanksgiving.
1: <laughs>
0: he blew it! I'm back on Uncle Frank. I was on I was him last year. Rivalries. The intention to hurt someone either physically or emotionally. Oh, women are so good at this. Sneaky little ways. Dissensions. Dissensions. The act of, of stirring up strife. Divisions. This is this is in reference to specifically, this term, to causing divisions in a religious community. So a church. Are there not factions? ascends, Themens? You know? Um, Any time we choose up sides, we're, 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 we're violating it. The works of the flesh are going on. Inclusion. That's our name. Whether, we, whether we, we, we really, whether, whether or not our, our, our flesh is feeling good about including someone, when we include them, we override our flesh. And as women, we have, we set the tone for all of that. What about envy? Feeling discontent or covetousness. Look at her, look at her body. Look at her house. Look at her car. Look at her kids. No. Look at your body and your house and your kids. If it needs a little improvement, fine. Do something to improve it. But but we don't need to be comparing ourselves to each other. We need to be encouraging one another. Building up one another. Um, I had a a young couple over for dinner last night. They have two little kids. One's uh, less than a year and the other one's three. Oh my goodness, he's one of the pastors at our church. The kids were out of control.
1: (laughs) Out of control.
0: And the sweet little wife, she's, you know, all of, I don't know, maybe pushing 30, probably not even that. She is doing everything she can. And she's got a hold of one, and the other one was squirting out somewhere in the living room. We had cleared it off and said, I don't care, you know, let them them play. But she was holding one and and trying to grab the other one. And then she looks at me with this plaintive look and she says, they don't behave this way at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed so loud. I said, that is the name of the game. That is the name of the game. <laughs> they get here. They figure you're not going to do the normal stuff. So you just do your normal stuff. And she goes, okay, thank you. And disappeared to the back part of the house for a few minutes. And the kid came out <laughs> and sat down and behaved a little bit better. <laughs> Look, my, my point is, is that the, the, this business of, of, of envy. We, we, we should be encouraging one another. We, I needed to look at that young woman and say, it's not always going to be this bad. It gets worse. No. <laughs> 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 look, you see a young couple like that at church and they're struggling like mad. You know, invite them over, clear the living room, and let the kids go at it. Let them have two minutes to sit at your table and have dinner when, when, when you know, it's tough. Um, you know, the the little boy did a little dive off of one piece of furniture, and I and they didn't see him. I, I saw him, and I said <laughs> to Dad, I said, I'm gonna bet that's not a good choice. And he goes, What did
1: you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I said a half gainer off of the whatever. <laughs> I, I I was trying to be helpful. I was trying to say, I, I get it. I understand. I was around. I, I kids I did blah blah. the the opposite of of this covetousness stuff. Next one: drunkenness, intoxication from drugs or alcohol, or any other kind of lack of control. I saw a woman at the store the other day, mad at somebody at, at, at the counter, and her voice rose and rose and rose. I'm pretty sure she was standing there screaming. Now she wasn't drunk. I don't know that. I don't know about anything she might have in her system, but but a definite lack of control. When we're screaming at the cars on the on the freeway, we may not be intoxicated. We may not have any drugs in our system. But there's a sense of, of, of uncontrolled orgies. That's just another one. That's, that's the boisterous festivals that unleash inhibitions. When you're screaming at your kid, I used to know I had I totally lost it with Brianna <laughs> when I was gritting my teeth. <laughs> when my jaw started to ache I knew I was out of control um, I, I remember one time I was standing and she was screaming at me I was screaming at her over at the top of the stairs I had my back to my bedroom I realized my jaws were just she was like 15 my jaws were just killing me I knew I was totally out of control so I raised my hand like this and she goes what and I went I have to go into my room I'll be back I walked in fully clothed and stood in my shower. I turned the shower off. I just stood there. (laughs) After a little while, she came around the corner of my room. She hollered, What are you doing? I said, I'm taking a shower. She goes, You have all your clothes on. I said, I need control. (laughs) She goes, All right, when you get it, come back out here. I said, All right. I came back out. (laughs) I put a towel around my face. I came back out. I said, All right, let's sit down and talk about this. And I remember, being totally wet, sitting on the carpet, with her sitting next to me, I finally had gotten some control. I can't remember the last time I went to an orgy, but that that was what I was doing. (laughs) Look, and if none of those caught you, none of those little lists of the flash, he goes, things like these. So, you know, if you didn't see your particular thing for the last, you know, month on there, He's thrown in and and anything else like this. The real thing is in Matthew seven, Jesus uses the phrase, "By their fruits you will know them." We're known by our fruits. Our kids know us by our fruits. Now, none of you are perfect parents. All of you have lost your control at some point or another. If you haven't, you will. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: Guarantee it The issue is what do you do next And does it run rampant is it, the, is it the rule of your life Or the exception All of you have gotten angry at your husband Probably most of you have thrown something at
1: him <laughs> The
0: issue is not Did it happen once The issue is that is that what your kids see all the time A red cup showing up in your house is not the end of the world, but if your kids see that that's the pattern of your life, by your fruits you will be known. So, are we are we enslaved? Think about that question before you answer it. Are we enslaved? No. Yeah. No, not to the works of the law, but yes to our Savior. There is a kind of encumbrance that happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ that is far more difficult to maintain than the rules your mom made. When your dad looks at you and says, use your best judgment, that's a far more difficult standard. The standard you and I have is not circumcision, no circumcision, keep a feast day, don't keep a feast day. Offer a sacrifice, don't offer a sacrifice. It's far more difficult than that. It's live a life before our family, before our neighbors, before our our communities in such a way that they want our Savior. That's a pretty tough slavery. Father, we're our consumed by this list of the works of the flesh and we make fun of it but there are so many ways on a regular ongoing basis we fall short Father we need a short sinless we need to repent we need to come to you we need to say this is wrong and I don't want to do it again and I'm going to take steps that not to be the pattern of my life because I do have a mark on my ear I willingly went to the doorpost and said chunk out a a little section I want to be known as a child of Christ I want it to be known that that you're my savior I want to live a life like that high standard help me Father in Jesus name amen. Amen